Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Unlocking Business Potential, your business and advisory podcast backed by Video Tipnaki. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Melissa, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Kelsey. How's it going? It's going really great, thank you. Well, I'm really excited about today's topic as well because we're going to do a deep dive into a really important sector here in New Zealand, and one that we see a lot of people uh, get experience in and then strike out and start their own business in this industry, and that's the construction industry. Yeah, this is one that's a really key sector to me as well. So I own a business within this sector, and I'm consistently seeing new clients going out on their own, starting up a business, and it's really, really exciting to give you some more insights into that sector. Even more exciting though, we have a special guest today. So we are joined today by James McQueen. Now he's an advisory partner at BDO East Tamaki and he's also the national leader for the construction and real estate sector here at BDO National. Now. I really want everyone to appreciate the time commitment that James has taken out of his day to join us on this podcast. He is an absolute wealth of knowledge and we're really, really excited to have him join us today. Before we get stuck in, I just wanted to throw in our usual disclaimer that the information in this podcast is general in nature and no substitute for tailored advice specific to your particular circumstances. If you do need advice, make sure to touch base with your advisor. Hi, James. How are you doing? Really great, thanks. Look, we're still in Auckland. We're still in lockdown in Auckland, but looking forward to um, joining the rest of the country and properly getting back to business. Fingers crossed that can be really soon. <laughs> so we'll kick off today's um, questions with um, a little bit of a feel of how the construction sector is feeling post-lockdown, even though it's still to come out of level three in Auckland. Um, but we seem to be seeing a bit of a construction boom happening. So is that what you're seeing in your experience as well? It, it, the answer is yes, it is. And things are actually going really well. But let's just sort of back up the bus a little bit to the first lockdown back in March 2020 and what happened there, because that sort of sets a bit of a background to what's happening now. Back in the very first lockdown, there was massive uncertainty. Um, most companies only paid their staff 80% or the wage subsidy. It's different this time around. Um, the very first thing that happened last time is clients lost confidence in cancelled projects and therefore construction organisations similarly lost confidence and started um, shedding excess staff. Um, we then, after that, for the next probably four or five months, had what I call a race to the bottom where construction companies had lost a lot of work and were basically bidding low prices to win work. This time is very different. This time there's a massive shortage of staff. So people are paying their staff because if they don't look after their staff, they won't have any staff. Um, plus, you know, interest rates sort of dropped a bit after the first lockdown, confidence restored. Everyone has got lots of work on. Yeah. Yeah, and therefore people have got a level of confidence they didn't have in that first lockdown 18 months ago. Um, so, you know, it's, everyone just wants to get on with business. That's a lot of what I'm feeling. I'm feeling yeah. that everyone's just kind of waiting for the hassle of lockdown so that they can get back to being crazy, crazy busy. That's right, yeah. But of course, this one is different um, because we've got massive product shortages having an impact. Like I've got clients 
that, you know, as we come out of lockdown, they can get back onto site, but they're going to be waiting for six weeks before they can get some jib to put up. That really messes up things. The other one is, um, I think it's, it's the larger timber, I think it's 150 by 50. Um, there's none available. But it's not because there's no wood, it's because they haven't got the chemicals to treat the wood. Oh, so the, again, there's, there's massive delays there. And for some people, the volume they want, they won't get that timber till after Christmas. So again, very, very different. That probably is increased by the fact that we've got different regions and different levels as well. So products that would normally be made in Auckland are struggling to get out to us here in Taranaki. And we've got builders who wish they could be working, but are sitting around twiddling their thumbs. Correct. And then what's happening is, you know, those products are now finally leaving the Auckland warehouses and finding their way out into the regions. But when Auckland gets back to business, um, there's nothing for the Aucklanders. So it's, it's going to become very much a national issue again. Mm, that sounds right. And that kind of leads on to what I was wanting to ask next was that how are these continued restrictions going to impact smaller construction businesses? Is it going to just be lack of materials? Is it going to be issues with staffing? Uh, it's it's across the board. You know, materials, inflation and staffing are the biggies. Um, if we, let's just start with um, with inflation because inflation has been slowly building and it's a bit of a wake up call to everybody. You know, uh, you know, after the last lockdown uh, and through 2020, most companies were doing fixed price contracts and along came inflation. Um, those that gave a price quite some time ago, but are now trying to do the work now, um, you know, they're, they're operating at losses on those projects because the materials, particularly materials, but also labour is costing them a lot more than they planned and the increases are a lot more than the margin they were expecting. And that what that does is that puts a lot more risk into the sector and um, and people should not be you know entering into fixed price contracts. Um, that's just a recipe for um, for business failure, but instead negotiating contracts where the client takes a lot of that risk. Do you even uh, think that when they're putting quotes together, just having really, really short turnarounds for those, quote needs to be accepted and work completed in, say, 30 days rather than leaving it for up to 90 days? Yeah, that, that, that sort of thing works well. If you if you get your prices from your subcontractors, get the immediate signature from the client and then order the materials and get the subcontractors onto it straight away, mm -hmm. that's one way of managing it. But if it's a project that takes a lot longer, um, and you can't do it that way, then you know, then fixed price contracts just simply don't work. So going for more of your charge up sort of work. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. That makes heaps of sense. And of course, what also is happening as a consequence of that is that you know, projects that might have been viable previously are no longer viable. Um, so the banks are very much aware of that. And 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 therefore the banks' expectations of the margins that developers and yeah, we'll make, uh, they're putting a lot more pressure there. And I think what we're going to see is that a number of projects that are all priced up, ready to go, the bank simply won't fund it because there's not enough margin. Those projects will then get cancelled. Um, and therefore the builders will then say, oh, I need another project to do. Now, the good news is at the, this stage, there seems to be plenty of work out there. You know, the housing sector is going the strongest it's ever gone and the commercial sector, um, is going particularly strong as well. Yeah, I guess everyone's no longer able to go overseas and spend money on holidays, so they're investing back <laughs> in their own houses. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, and we see that just driving around the suburbs. There's there's lots of house operations going on. But um, but that's still only a small portion of the building sector. Most of the building sector is still doing uh, new, new builds. So, and that's where most of the pressure is being felt. So if we look to more of our smaller clients and people that are really getting started, so whether it's a plumber or it's a sparky or a builder that's wanting to go out on their own, what would you think are the key considerations for them to have before making that leap? Um, probably my first comment is it's a very different mindset and skill set running your own business to working for somebody else. And therefore, they've got to be happy that they have got that mindset and skill set to do it. And if I just work through just some of the bits of that, the first one is, is around cash. When you work for wages, the cash comes in every week to pay the bills and pay the mortgage. If you've got your own business, there is no security of weekly cash flow. So basically, um, there's actually a delay at the beginning till there's actually any cash flow. Um, so therefore, you're going to need some funds to get you started. Um, and, you're, and, and for those with partners and wives, similarly, they need to actually understand that there's going to be no cash flow for a period of time. And um, yeah, essentially understand that and have a bit of a family plan around that and have some resilience. The next area is the area of winning work. Um, you have to have the confidence and the knowledge to win work. And that, that's different to actually doing the work. Um, so before you set out, you need to plan where is that work going to come from? Um, having friends and family that will give you something, that's not enough. That's not going to keep you going long term. Um, sometimes when people um, you know, go out on their own, they might do some work for their old boss on a subcontract basis. And that sometimes, particularly for people in the trades, that's often a good way to get started out on your own. Another thing to think about is um, qualifications and licenses. Um, because, you know, if you need to be a, a, a licensed building practitioner um, or you've got, you know, you're an electrician, you've got to make sure you've got all those licenses and qualifications. And that varies from trade to trade. Next thing to think about is your team. Are you going to operate just on your own or are you going to have some staff? And who are those staff going to be? Um, and there's other ways of, well, yeah, that, that's part of it. Or consider, you know, who is your team? Are there going to be actually two or three owners so that you all got different skills to bring to the business? And often that, that approach might work better than just starting off on your own, because often on your own, you don't actually have all the skills you need to actually to do the work, to manage the business, to do the admin, to do the marketing and all those different components. That's actually been something we've covered in a couple of our other episodes, and it's more just about building a team of people around you, even if it's your next door neighbour that has some skills and some things, or getting a proper advisor to help you with the compliance stuff so that you don't feel like you're doing absolutely everything. Yep, yep, correct, yeah. Next one is risks, and um, so you need to actually understand all the risks. And as I said before, make sure your partner's actually happy with those risks and especially around cash flow because you know setting out in business you're going to have creditors 
Um, if you're borrowing from the bank, they will want your house's security. Um, your partner needs to understand the house's security. If this doesn't go well, you might lose the house. Now that's not the plan, but we need, you know, people need to actually understand that. So we're all actually rowing the same boat in the same direction. Another one which you guys have probably covered already is having some sort of business plan. Um, and, you know, I don't mind too much what is in the business plan. The whole purpose of a business plan is to get you thinking about all the different issues that you need to consider and planning for those. Uh, most important word is profit. You're going out in business to actually make money. So therefore, um, yeah, you need a budget and you need to work out your charge out rates um, to ensure that it's actually your business is going to be viable. Um, it's yeah, you know, that's something you can get help from BDO on in terms of helping prepare a business plan and do some initial um, budgets and work out what sort of charge out rate you need to charge um, if it's on a charge up sort of basis so that you can actually make money and cover all your overheads and, and still make a decent profit. That's a really key consideration. There's so many people that think, oh, I used to get paid $30 now. Well, I'll just charge everyone else $30 now and I'll just keep making that same money. But unfortunately, there's a lot of expenses that you need to cover with that charge out rate. Yeah. And look, it, it varies from business to business. Um, but my starting point is you need to take the hourly rate and multiply it by three to get an appropriate charge out rate. And then what that does is, is that recognises that you you're not working all the time, you've got holidays, sick pay, administration, so therefore the chargeable hours reduces. You've got to cover your overheads, you've got to cover risk. A lot of the work has got, say, a 10-year guarantee, you've got guarantee costs. And you may find some sectors, they won't, the, the, the clients won't accept a charge-out rate of that sort of size. But, you know, my starting point is take your hourly rate times three and then, and then sort of see where the market sits after that. Yeah, just kind of making sure that you're selling your value with that as well, because yes, you may be slightly more expensive than someone else, but if you're doing a better job, I think people would much rather use you than pay a little bit more for it. Exactly. Our final question today is, what is the most common mistakes that those in the SME construction business make? Probably the key one is around advice. You need to get good advice and have a team to support you. Um, what I find is if I look across my client base over the last probably 20 or 30 years, the guys that have got lots of experience don't tend to make mistakes and stay in business for a long time. Um, the young guys tend to be the, guy, the people that more frequently make mistakes. But if I break the young guys into those that actually think they can do it on their own and those that actually get some experienced mentors to help them, particularly mentors that in exactly the same industry, then those younger guys don't make the same mistakes and are much more successful. So maybe just as a side note from that, where would people normally go to find those mentors? Because how do you stop it just being a competitor that if it's in the same industry? The, the industry is big enough that it's unlikely to be a direct competitor. You know, go, you know, if you're a plumber, go and talk to, you know, you know, somebody that's just recently retired from their business, sold out from their business, or or even just somebody that's at the, you know, that's got a, a big plumbing operation because you'll be starting off as a small plumbing operation. 
you're both competing in a different space on different size jobs and get some advice from those people. Um, you'll also find that, that you know that that big plumber, using that example, he may actually have times he need he gets some little small jobs that need to be done. He doesn't want his team doing it. Too much of a hassle, um, and therefore he can feed work your way. He can look at contracts. He can just make sure you don't make silly mistakes that people tend to make when they first start out. Yeah, that sounds like some absolutely invaluable advice, and I think that's something really key is just building that network and building that team, even if it's advisors or mentors or even just yeah, anyone that's willing to give you some support. Yeah. Next area is, is around accounting. Um, the key thing there is you need to know and track your costs. Um, I don't mind too much what system people use, although generally it'll probably be zero, and then possibly with some sort of add-on. But it's critical that you have a system you can track your costs and your time on a job by job basis. That way you can then review the profit on each job. Um, you're going to also make sure you actually bill the work for each job. You'll be amazed how often I come across people who do work, don't have a decent system and they forget to bill it. It's a really quick way to go out of business. Um, and, and the other thing is, you know, people are very good tradesmen, but you know, no one taught them or gave, or gave them a lot of um, advice and, and training in terms of financial matters. And therefore, if you've got a good system, then that sets you up to then get some really good financial advice and upskill yourself. Next area I see people make lots of mistakes is around contract documentation. Um, you've got to protect yourself or sooner or later you're going to get burned. Uh, we talked about the team. Um, in this current environment where there's lots of work and not enough people to do it, having happy staff is really, really critical and you need to look after them. And it's a lot more than dollars. Um, it's the whole culture of the organisation. It's it's the way you supervise your staff. It's the way you thank them. It's the way you motivate them. And I find that each person is different and therefore what you need to do for each person is going gonna, is gonna to vary. Uh, cash, we talked about that before. Um, you know, people quickly go out of business if cash flow comes to an end. So therefore, the key there is to invoice promptly and collect promptly. And someone needs to take responsibility for that. Um, very often, what we find is that the husband sets up in business. Um, he's not necessarily inclined to, well, or, or good at the admin. So you get the wife to do the um, the invoicing and the cash collections. She's actually got a full-time job at home anyway, and she, and she doesn't have the skills, and she doesn't have the time, and but again, that needs to be planned right from the outset, um, so that there's a, you know, who's responsible and who's going to do it. And if the wife hasn't got time, then there's probably other other people out there that are looking for a part-time job of a couple of hours a day just to help with the invoicing and cash collections or something like that. That's a really good takeaway because I think that happens all too often is that people then get quite stretched and then that, that at-home relationship becomes more of a business partnership and it's a bit hard to separate the two. Yeah, exactly. Another one I find picking construction is a big issue is understanding the Construction Contracts Act and, and the requirements relating to progress claims and payment certificates and so on. Um, a progress claim must comply with all the requirements of the Construction Contract Act, or if not, it's basically unenforceable. If you don't follow it correctly, someone doesn't pay you, you can't go to a statutory demand, 
going to go right back to the beginning and, and issue a fresh um, claim um, following the Act. And of course, at that stage, it's already in dispute and they will issue a payment certificate of zero or something like that, and you're up a creek without a paddle. Exactly the same if you've got subcontractors. Um, it's really important to follow the, the timeframes and requirements for payment certificates. Because if you dispute something, but you don't respond in time, then basically you must pay them, um, even though you don't agree with it. That, yeah. that sounds really key. Thanks so much for all this information you've been giving us. It's really been a good insight into our like what everyone's dealing with at the moment. Absolutely. Um, so I think we've kind of got to the end of our allotted time so that we don't keep everyone listening for so long. But I think we potentially might just have to get you on at some other stage to fill us in with some more updates and everything like that as well. That'd be fantastic. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. To finish off today's episode, we are going to take a quick look at a mindset. James mentioned how important it was for construction businesses to have a plan and have some key goals in mind that are going to help you succeed in the construction industry. So we're going to take a quick look at goal setting and making sure that you make smart goals. Yeah, so let's dive into SMART goals. So SMART's an acronym and each of the letters represent a different part of what your each goal should be. Mm-hmm. So let's start with S. So S is specific. So this means setting real numbers with real deadlines. Don't just say, I want more visitors, I want more work. Be specific about what you're wanting. It's not enough just to have a general goal because it then makes it a little bit airy-fairy. You don't know specifically what you want to do. And when you get specific, you know exactly what steps you need to do to make that goal achievable. Exactly. And then we move on to the M, and the M is measurable. And that is giving yourself that metric, giving yourself those key numbers that you're striving for, that are your target, that will show you that you've actually achieved the goal that you've set. So that's saying that you maybe want to make a 50% gross profit because that's going to be an increase of where you are now or you want to have 10 customers per week anything like that that is giving us very specific target so that once you achieve those then you know that you've achieved your goal exactly and the main thing is it's not hiding behind the buzzwords not going with I want to increase my social influence make sure it's trackable yeah third one up is a attainable or achievable so this is about working towards a go that is challenging, but not impossible. Yeah. So making sure that you are setting goals that you can achieve, maybe with a bit of hard work, but you can actually get there. You don't want to set a goal that is so big that, yes, that might be the ultimate goal of where you want your business to go. But if you are up against it, trying to achieve that goal and not getting there for months on end, it's really going to take the drive out of you. That's going to be really difficult to keep getting out of bed every morning. Mm-hmm. So you want to make little goals that are helping you get towards a bigger goal that you can actually achieve. And after a month or two, you, you've achieved them and you can feel really good about yourself to then take that next step and make that next goal. Exactly. And just being honest with yourself, setting goals that both you and your team are capable of. Yeah. 
Then we move on to the R and that is relevant, which means that the goal must align with the overarching plan or vision that you have for your business. So you don't want to set a goal that is completely left of center of where you're going. So say that your big picture goal is to maybe make $500,000 revenue this year. You don't want to make a goal that has absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, maybe it's to do with the number of supplies you have. The number of supplies that you have is not going to necessarily help generate revenue. Um, so that may be a good goal for something else or for someone else, but for your key goal, it's not going to get you there. Yeah, so let's make sure we're, that we're actually aligning our goals to our overarching mission, mm-hmm. anything like that. And finally, we've got T for time bound. So give yourself a deadline. Don't keep pushing towards a goal that you might hit someday. Have a timeline in mind and stick to it. Yeah, you don't want an indefinite timeline or how long is a piece of string. You want to be able to say, in in a month's time, in two months' time, this is where I'm going to be, and really push yourself to get there. Really want to give another thank you out to James for joining us today on this podcast. It was really good to hear a lot from him, and I hope that everyone has taken on a couple of beads of knowledge. Thank you for listening to our episode. If you enjoyed today's podcast, jump along to your favorite podcast app and like, rate and subscribe the episode so that others can find the podcast as well. And if you need to get in contact with us for direct tailored advice, please do not hesitate to phone our office or flick us an email, melancal at bdo.co.nz. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Unlocking Business Potential, backed by BDO Taranaki.